Welcome to SeaWork Podcasts. This podcast is an audio extract of the Get Set for Workboat 2050 Series 3, Session 1. To see the webinar and the visual presentations, go to seawork.com, On Demand page, and click on Get Set for Workboat 2050 Series 3, Session 1. And welcome to Get Set for Workboat 2050 Series 3. My name is Kerry Forster and I'm the, the Chief Executive of the Workboat Association. Today I welcome you all on behalf of the Commercial Marine Network, a partnership with the Maritime Journal and SeaWork and in association with the Workboat Association. The Get Set for Workboat 2050 Series 3 is once again supported by the Society of Maritime Industries and the UK Harbour Masters Association. To start the new series, today's theme is Vessel Design, Evidencing Energy Efficiency Through Vessel Designs. Now today, we're going to be listening to four speakers, all of whom have got hands-on ex experience of designing, operating and building efficient vessels. Our speakers today, Andy Page, the Managing Director of Chartwell Marine, Thomas Bangslund, Group Head of Technical Innovation at Switzer, James Mosden, the Senior Naval Architect at White Shipyard, and he's joined by Rob Tolk, the Principal Naval Architect at 1-3 Naval Architects. We've heard previously in Get Set for Workboat 2050 how optimum energy usage starts with optimum vessel design. Theoretical studies, tank testing and digital twinning are all extremely valuable and in their different ways undeniable factors contributing to the greater understanding in vessel efficiency. But there isn't anything quite as powerful as a full-size case study, something that today's programme is going to focus on. I would like to welcome today's first speaker to the floor, who is Andy Page of Chartwell Marine. Andy is a chartered engineer. He's managing director of Chartwell Marine, a naval architecture consultancy business which supports boat builders and vessel operators worldwide. In addition to this, Andy is the chairman of the Workboat Association Technical Working Group and is responsible for leading the way in industry decarbonisation. For several years, Andy worked for a large high-speed vessel boat builder and repairer as head naval architect and general manager. And the design organisation supported both their UK South Coast and East Coast facilities as, welding to, as well as providing to an international market. Andy was heading up the design team there. Following these exciting years, Andy formed Chartwell Marine to independently operate as a naval architect's business. And this enabled more opportunities, including work with a larger number of shipyards and vessel owners to be able to work on behalf of UK certifying authorities and for the purposes of ship surveying and design assessment. Chartwell Marine are an award-winning pioneer in next generation vessel design and are responsible for a number of innovative and market leading projects. So Andy, the floor is now yours. Thank you and uh, good morning, everybody. Um, as Gary said, it's nice to be kind of on the other side of the, of the fence today, um, normally moderating, so uh, fun to be uh, presenting today. Um, so today, the focus of my presentation is, is offshore wind. Um, the speakers that uh, Kerry is hosting today, we tried to split into different categories of commercial workboats. Um, so today, uh, I, I'm representing uh, offshore wind design and um, uh, as an introduction, um, as sort of Kerry explained, Chartwell uh, is an independent uh, naval architecture firm. We're, we're based in uh, in Southampton um, in the UK, and uh, our, um, our vessel designs typically are commercial craft, typically 
what we would call high speed, um, uh, but uh, but also um, as recently displayed at Southampton Boat Show, uh, we're also active um, in, in the leisure market. Um, currently, we have uh, 12 boats uh, in build in Europe um, and three in the USA. Um, and in our five-year um, operations, um, we've we've done quite well uh, on the sort of award side. Um, and what I what I hope is is in recognition for the for the hard work and uh, research and development that we we try to implement um, into into vessel design for for the purpose of increased efficiency, improved safety, and uh, and vessel decarbonisation. So as I say, uh, today the focus of, of my presentation is on offshore wind and uh, um, predominantly crew transfer vessels. Um, so there are a number of different forms um, that we have seen uh, into active service over the last um, sort of 10 to 15 years um, that uh, crew transfer vessels um, have, have been being built um, for the purpose of uh, uh, transferring personnel from shore um, to, to offshore infrastructure, be that turbines, wind turbines, um, substations, or oil and gas platforms. Um, and in each case, um, what, uh, what the Naval Architect is trying to do is to um, deliver a, a whole form which is, which is efficient, um, is, has the ability to handle um, different weathers, um, different wave heights, and an ever-increasing um, desire to, to go in, in higher sea states. Um, the vessel must be practical, maintainable, and in general, we're aiming for a 15 to 30 year um, lifespan um, as, a, as a CTV. Um, and in recent times, we've, of course, um, focused our efforts on trying to um, design a craft that can host a, a wider range of energy storage systems uh, and, and alternative fuel types. Uh, we have a, a catamaran form. Um, this uh, has kind of dominated um, the crew transfer vessel um, design sphere, let's say, for the for the last sort of 10 to 15 years. Um, and then we have a series of um, either whole form um, uh, adaptation or, or use of technology um, to try and increase um, operational capability. So we have a surface effect ship, um, which is using technology to uh, try and reduce um, resistance and increase operability. We have a swath form. Um, which is using whole form to uh, and and um, uh, and engineering systems um, to uh, to try and make the form more efficient and moreover um, to handle larger sea states. We have a, um, a, a what we call a proa form, um, the Bartek thirty, um, which I'll go go into more during this presentation. Um, but the, the the in summary, um, the the idea behind all of these craft is that we're trying to um, make incremental gains. We're trying to use our our naval architectural capability um, to, to improve operations offshore. So what are the key considerations um, when it comes to whole form design? Um, we talk a lot about operational profile uh, in these discussions, especially as we're seeking to, um, to gradually change our fuel type from diesel to an alternative. Um, critically, we're looking at distance from shore. So how far are we passaging? We're looking at our vessel draft requirements. Are there any, um, any, any, um, restrictions that might uh, affect the form that we design. Um, what about mobilization? How far are we going? How often is the boat um, moving from job to job? Um, uh, is it, uh, you know, like the salvage business where it's, you know, quick response or is it long-term um, charter? And that, that very much differs depending on the, 
on the um, the type of vessel um, and the the activity and the maturity of the of the of the project, um, the offshore wind project, uh, and we're seeing that across the globe um, here in the North Sea, but also um, stateside and, and out in Asia. Um, and, and finally, of course, we need to consider the sea state. You know, we can make a, a very good nearshore vessel um, that wouldn't necessarily be particularly good in the larger sea states we might experience offshore. Um, but also, there's, you know, if we make a, a very large, um, very high displacement craft that wouldn't necessarily be very efficient for nearshore operations. Um, so very important that we understand that. Payload, payload requirements, um, CTVs host a whole network of jobs um, and the payload uh, requirement day to day can differ. Um, understanding how frequent that payload differentiation is is important. Um, the, uh, the, the more consistent it is, um, the more simple it is to predict uh, our, our required power and our, our efficiency. Um, the, the more um, it changes, um, the more difficult it is to predict and, and, and the type of form we might design may be dictated by that. Um, one key consideration is, is certainly for CTVs is transom immersion, um, especially when we're looking to um, uh, reduce our, our, uh, our fuel usage. Um, a lot of the CTV work scope is actually at slow speed, often um, below the what we would call hump speed, so pre-planing, um, and uh, in that area, um, transom immersion is very, very uh, influential on hull resistance, and um, and working to try and reduce that um, uh, is is very beneficial. Um, but we must also consider that this boat not is not just involved in in transit, uh, moving um, from one uh, A to B, um, but also when we're pushing on to an offshore structure, uh, and there we actually want in a weird way, transom immersion to be deep, or certainly our propulsion depth to be deep, um, to, to give us our, our, our continuous grip when pushing on. So there's a, there's a balance there to consider. Um, propulsion system integration, how the form interacts with the propulsor, um, what the relationship is, and trying to maintain good flow onto that propulsor is very important. We don't want to create unnecessary drag. And uh, as I'll express a little bit more in this presentation, weights and centers. Um, for those of you that, uh, that know me, I talk about waste and centers pretty much every day. Um, it is uh, absolutely critical to, to ensuring that we're successful. So what technologies do we have to, to help us? Um, uh, we have in recent times been fitting foils to our boats, in particular the, the uh, bar technologies FOSS uh, foil system. Um, and uh, critically, what this is doing is um, generating lift. Um, so we're reducing our frictional resistance in, um, uh, when we're making passage. Um, and, and moreover, especially uh, in recent times of foil technology, uh, with the ability to actuate the foil, we can reduce our wave-made resistance. So um, reduce the amount our vessel pitches, um, reduce the um, impact of that wave and the added resistance that normally causes, um, and significantly reduce our fuel burn as a result. Um, further gains um, that we've experienced, in, in particular, our directional stability, so our ability to stay on course um, when making passage. Um, that a lot of fuel burn usage and actually went, went on autopilot, trying to keep those, these boats on a straight track, um, and the foils are making significant gains there. Um, and, and, and as I say, where we have variable payloads, um, we're able to adjust the foils to suit the, the mass that we're carrying. Um, we can increase lift. Um, uh, where, but where we're carrying increased payloads um, and, and use that to our benefit to try and 
make the the, the operational um, uh, fuel usage uh, and efficiency more predictable. Um, and, and that's what the foils are enabling. A more novel approach, again, with our partners at, at Bartek, um, is, is, again, looking to, to form, so not just in technology, um, but actually going to the extreme and looking at how we could change our whole form um, to reduce our resistance. And uh, an example of this, which has been delivered, is the CCAT Courageous. Um, sorry, CCAT Columbia, my, my uh, correction there, apologies. CCAT Columbia, which is um, uh, a 30 meter uh, proform um, vessel. So it has a very slender uh, main hull. Um, it is a multi hull, so it still has a, 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 um, a, a port side um, stabilizer form, um, which is actually low water plane area. Um, uh, and and it, it, so in, in principle, carries a lot of similarities with the catamaran. But as a result of its form, and the uh, introduction of technology, um, this boat is demonstrating up to 30% um, reduced fuel burn um, for a similar displacement uh, catamaran. Um, but what's compelling is, as a result of its form, not only are we seeing those um, fuel reductions, we're also able to do that in, in larger sea states, um, where, where a catamaran might, might be um, restricted by its, its pitching moment, um, its, uh, its wet deck slamming, and um, accelerations that are caused as a result of those functions uh, and the sea keeping impact that has on the individuals on board. Um, I talked about waste and centers. Um, as I say, if we're gonna, we can do fantastic things with whole form, um, with shape, with trance and immersion, um, but if we don't get our weights and centers right, then uh, none of that uh, uh, would matter. Um, so it, critically, it's extremely important that we focus on our weights and centers, not just in design, um, but also through build. So build oversight is very important. Um, managing the uh, the equipment as it goes in, trying to ensure that it meets the design as best as possible. Um, and and finally, uh, uh, through life. Um, so it's not just in the initial sense, but through life, we need to make sure that we're we're maintaining our weights and centres um, to 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 stay on that uh, that efficient curve as the vessel was originally designed. So um, just to close, um, our uh, offshore wind range is ever growing. Um, we, we now uh, host uh, uh, um, CTVs, uh, daughter craft, um, SOV and ECTV. And complementary to our range is with our partners, BAR Technology with the Bartek 30, 40 and 50. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, over to Kerry. Thank you very much, Andy. And it's, it's always hard to explain so much technology in such a short amount of time. But before the uh, the meeting started, we, we were mentioning, and Thomas, who's going to be speaking next, he said, you know, um, everyone is interested to hear what you've got. So, you know, what you told us today is, is so interesting. And I'm sure you could you could tell us even more as well if you had more time. But a quick question from me. Uh, you mentioned transom immersion and you said that that was so critical to, to your design process for, for achieving optimum efficiency. But where do you get your inspiration from? Um, I guess uh, experience um, uh, in, in delivering craft um, in sailing. Um, so if you think about uh, light wind sailing in, a, in your laser dinghy, um, if you don't have much power, you're always told as a youngster to, to move forward on board the vessel get the transom out of the water, reduce your transom drag. Um, so there's a lot of history and a lot of um, uh, sailing knowledge over the years that contributes that uh, um, that physical fact, as it were. Um, and, and and implementing that into, into vessel design is very important. 
especially when we're you know we're trying to use um, alternative fuels that perhaps aren't as energy dense as um, as diesel fuel. Um, and so we need to be smarter uh, with our form design to get the most out of that energy storage, just as we would when we're in sailing in light airs. We're trying to get the most out of our sails to create the most most amount of forward propulsion that we can. Great. Well, thank you very much, Andy. Um, next, I'd like to ask uh, Thomas Bangslund, uh, please, to join me here. So Thomas uh, is from Switzer, a uh, well-known tugboat operator, um, I think one of the largest um, globally. Educated as a marine engineer, uh, Thomas has always been passionate about developing new concepts and challenging the status quo. Thomas Bangsland has 26 years experience gained in various positions within the AP Moller Group, from serving as a sailing engineer to then fleet manager, and since 2008 fully focused on work within innovation. Thomas's current role is as Group Head of Technical Innovation, and this comes after previously specialising in radical fuel research projects before now focusing on towage when he joined the Switzer team in 2016. His current focus is safety, automation and ease of operation, doing this via new vessel designs and aiding the green transition. So, Thomas, the floor is yours and it would be great to hear how you're achieving all those targets. Thank you very much, Kerry. And uh, first of all, thanks to all of you here for the opportunity to speak to you uh, on our new vessel design. It's, it's something that has been uh, in the works for actually a couple of years now. It, it does take uh, quite some time to sort of uh, try and reinvent the way we do uh, towage. Um, you know, I'll go into the rationale uh, for why we are looking in this direction and then I will try and uh, describe the capabilities that we have been able to achieve so far. And then a little bit uh, on, on the future ahead, uh, how we see this design uh, evolving uh, going forward. I mean, you have several handles, of course, to pull when, when, you, when you think about fuel consumption. So, so one of the handles you can pull is, of course, behavior. And, and that handle we have been pulling for many years and, and we are quite optimized on how our crews uh, conduct themselves when they sail to and from a job. Uh, so we have that under full control and we have a very low sort of mobilization fuel usage. This is uh, this is what uh, we normally have it within our control. Uh, but when we are on the job, we are very much subjected to uh, commands from the pilot on the vessel we assist. So, so that part of the job is not in our uh, full control. If if the pilot asks for a certain force, we will provide that force. Uh, so, if if we if we look at the, the general growth here in uh, now, this is a container vessel uh, 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 growth. Uh, but when you look at the growth of the vessels uh, over time. That is for a good reason. Of course, these vessels are per transported kilo much more efficient uh, than the smaller, older uh, designs. Uh, typically, uh, optimized for a lower uh, uh, propulsion speed and very, very large vessels that can carry a lot of cargo. So the, the, the CO2 emissions per transported kilo has really moved down in the industry due to this trend. But for us uh, in, in our sector, uh, that is driving a little bit an opposite trend. Uh, and the, the trend has been to, to throw more and more bullet pool after this. Uh, obviously, 
there's a call for more and more powerful talks, as you can imagine, these very large vessels, they have a, a very uh, large area below the water, subjected to the currents, and they also have a, an enormous uh, vintage area. So the talks that are engaged on these large vessels, they have quite high power. So now the, the norm more than the exception in the industry is that we are up at around 80 ton bullet pool on the new uh, talks that, uh, that we are designing. So what, what we asked ourselves is if we could come up with a, a new design that could sort of counter that trend a little bit because we would then apply uh, the propeller input in a different way. Um, at, at the same time, we also asked ourselves, you know, can we also make this design uh, uh, capable of generating even higher uh, forces than what we see today? And, and and that has been in the what we call the indirect uh, towage uh, area. So that is the forces we generate when we are doing a higher speed. So that's the speeds when you get above five knots and then all the way up towards eight, nine, sometimes 10 knots. Uh, so that's the hydrodynamic forces we can generate. The, the concept started out with um, with a new stable that 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 we were designing from these we set ourselves these targets and then we we um everybody that works with talks knows that you cannot push a, or vessels in general you can, you cannot push a vessel uh, uh, to a greater extent than the stability you have so we wanted to to come up with an active element that would help us generate a rightening moment so when we are when we are achieving higher forces uh, on the vessel we also get a rightening moment helping us to counteract the heel. Uh, so, so this is one of the uh, this is, is one of the features that help us do that. Obviously, you can also do uh, a lot with the hull form and the skeg uh, configurations to help you reduce heel. And all of the optimization around this has been around around reducing heel. Uh, then. That is the, that, that has been sort of the first part of it. But then how do we then uh, deliver this uh, to the work uh, situation and ensure that we can then also, you know, at least ensure that we are applying the laws of physics that would allow us to burn less fuel on the job. And, and what we ended up with here is a, a double-ended design. So we have a thruster in each end of the vessel. Uh, and this becomes uh, quite important uh, for the uh, potential to save fuel because that in combination with skeg location and toe point location is quite important. So this is um, uh, just an overview of the vessel. Of course, we have thrusters in each end. Uh, we were discussing how, how many propulsion units we, uh, we should have here. We, we knew that we wanted propulsion in each end. And uh, to be quite honest, we ended up with I mean, let's take it to the least amount of propulsion units that will do what we want. Uh, and, and two uh, thrusters is, is a really nice setup because the captain has a, a, a handle in each hand and don't, don't have to worry about anything else. If the captain is facing in one direction and for some reason he needs to turn around and go in the other direction, the, the same handle will stay in the same hand. So when you turn around uh, here in the at the control console, the captain will have exactly the same thruster in the same hand. It, it, 
that's a, another benefit of this. So it becomes very sort of a intuitive and the captain doesn't have to think in an opposite way when he's turning in the other direction because that's just by uh, by fact that when he turns around everything follows so that's a, that's another that's a safety element on the on the captain training so we have the trust on each end then we have the the skeg configuration and the location of the skegs is quite important in relation to the toe point location so all of these locations uh, is super important to get optimized and we, we spent quite a bit of, of time in the tank in order to uh, define this we have a very slender um, a working end this is again a benefit when you work on the flares all of these uh, larger vessels they have a very pronounced uh, and very refined uh, hull form so they have a very pronounced flare and obviously working under the flare you need a, a, a shallow profile uh, obviously, um, we are trying to keep everything as low to the water as possible, but uh, of course, if, depending on which sea states uh, you design the talk for, uh, this area will become a slightly higher. So if you if you have high uh, average uh, wave heights, of course, you will need a higher area here, but there's definitely an optimization from our side to keep everything as shallow as possible here. Uh, so th th this is the overall configuration. We also are working on a new gangway design for this vessel, making it that's back to the automation elements that Carrie mentioned in my introduction. Yes, if we can do a, a new version of the gangway, we would certainly uh, uh, you know, prefer to have that so people don't have to use manual labor to, to, to put it. Uh, and we also have a line handling unit that we've been working on for several years that can actually without anybody going on deck they can make the connection and pass the line uh, so that's also something that we have been developing over the last uh, couple of years then if you look at the, the traditional uh, work we do when we take vessels into into port where we are um, where we are square to the side and we can actually exert a force here on the tow line by pulling if you imagine you have an asd uh, the tra more traditional design in the industry doing this then you would have two thrusters in the in one end of the vessel and you would typically have a center skeg in the other end of the vessel so as the speed increases here uh, what you will see uh, what you will see here is that you will need more and more propeller to keep this position and uh, that means that you have less uh, power available actually to exert a force on the assisted vessel so you would actually be running out of power uh, quicker on a traditional design then on, on our design that has the trust on each end, we can much easier keep this position and have more propeller available for the assisted vessel. Between three and seven knots can maintain a much higher usable force for the assisted vessel. And this area between three and seven knots is actually an area that covers a lot of the work we do. So, so this is really a, an, an improvement here and, and a very smooth transition uh, between this uh, in what we call direct work and the indirect uh, uh, assistance we can then generate at higher speeds. Uh, also what we can see here at higher speeds for the transverse talk, all of these efforts we have done to counteract heel comes into play. So we can actually achieve much higher forces than a comparable ASD because we have elements that helps us stability wise. So we can safely generate much higher forces 
uh, without uh, compromising the safety of the talk. Uh, and if you then imagine also the situation that is where you're behind a vessel and generating uh, force, you can imagine that with the setup we have here, we can easily balance the torque out with the thrusters. So we are actually sitting here with very little propeller input where the traditional ASD would have the propellers in one end and would have to sail into this to power into this position. We can actually balance out and almost uh, yeah, uh, sail like a like a parachute uh, behind the vessel. So that again allows us to reduce the power input. What are we after? We are after a high degree of maneuverability. We have done everything we can in our power to uh, give us the highest possible stability. Um, and then the, the, the really important part is the, the actually the transition area between three and seven knots. That's really a key area for us because that would also allow us to complete maneuvers quicker than what we can with the traditional vessels. Uh, and then the fuel, overall fuel consumptions, consumption directionally uh, in the laws of physics is lower on this talk. Uh, how much lower will be operational in, operational dependent on which maneuvers you typically have to do uh, and something that we would have to simulate for, for each, um, uh, for each uh, situation. And another very important part is that every time we do something here in Switzerland of new designs, it is of crucial importance to us that what we come up with can uh, encompass uh, the supplier base that we have. So we are we are working to to do new things, but use the existing technological uh, building blocks, uh, creating a, a market for all our OEMs that we've been working with for so many years. Uh, so we are inclusive in our way of thinking. So we don't end up with a design that where only one OEM can deliver a technology to it. That's the same also with the winds here. The winds can also be supplied widely by all the winds manufacturers that we have on the market today. And then we feel that is our obligation as the leading uh, uh, towage company on the market to be inclusive to the industry. So new designs, but really do a lot of thinking on how we can use the technology that we already have uh, on the market. Um, yeah, so this is just a few of the of the benefits of this design. I can say that the first uh, talk of this uh, type will be out in August uh, next year, and that's a 26 meter, 65 ton version. But we have uh, in the pipeline uh, 32 meter versions uh, with 80 ton bollard pool, and they will be um, they will be targeted targeted actually escort operations. The, the first talk we build is more a harbor version. So that will be a escort operations, but at lower speeds, the 32 meter version will be uh, for higher sea states and higher uh, speed uh, escort uh, jobs also. Uh, so we are quite excited with the program and, and we can see the program is, is growing and, and growing uh, with, with this new talk. There's a lot of uh, uh, interested uh, parties in, in, in this very way of, uh, of viewing uh, uh, this this philosophy for for doing the, the the talk jobs. Thank you very much for presenting. It's a it's a lot of information to get across all in one because it's it's such out the box thinking in in terms of tug technology. So um, really really pleased to have, have had the presentation. Thank you so much. I would like to invite James Mosden and Rob Tolk to the floor.
James Mosden is the principal naval architect at White Shipyard Company and leads the design team in developing their range of high-speed aluminium craft. He is a design and project manager with over 10 years experience in the industry and James has delivered maritime projects and new build vessels across a range of sectors including offshore wind, oil and gas and military applications. White Shipyard Company have currently in build two hybrid 40-metre high-speed passenger ferries for Uber boats by Thames Clipper, designed by one to three naval architects, of which Rob Tolk is the principal naval architect. One to three uh, are known for innovative and successfully commercialising uh, a number of vessels, including a large trimaran motor yachts. Uh, having designed and delivered the world's largest trimaran yacht at 84 metres in length overall. Rob has been in his position with them since 2005 and has successfully designed vessels with bespoke technologies for a number of diverse clients, uh, also including commercially clients like Red Funnel, Red Jet Fleet and the latest series of vessels that have been delivered to Uber by Thames Clippers. So to, to James and Rob, welcome and uh, I look forward to your presentation. Oh, thanks, Kerry. Sorry, it looks like uh, Rob appears to be having some connection issues, so I'll um, jump at the start and take on and see how we get on. Um, so, White Shipyard and 123 are working in partnership for uh, Thames Clipper uh, to develop the Uber boat vessels. Uh, Thames Clipper was founded in 1999 and is the uh, primary uh, passage operator on the River Thames. Um, since then, they've developed a fleet of 21 vessels um, serving 24 piers spanning from uh, Putney in the west right the way up to Barking on the east side. Um, over the last 20 odd years, they've developed um, to be able to carry now probably almost 5 million passengers this year. So their primary requirements well, since then, White Shipyard and 123 have developed the Hunt class um, since 2015, um, slowly getting bigger uh, vessels, more efficient and faster up until now, which is the uh, uh, Mark IV, which um, is currently termed uh, Tempestrum 4 and 5, which are in build with White Shipyard. Um, this vessel is the first diesel hybrid uh, solution um, designed to carry 229 passengers um, at speeds of up to 27 knots in diesel or on pure electric. 12 knots. When developing the Mark IV from the uh, original Mark III uh, Thames Clipper, obviously there's numerous challenges which the hybrid or renewable energy project have to consider. Compared with your conventional diesel engines, the energy density is, is substantially lower um, and likewise the actual storage of that energy um, is typically heavier and uses more space. Unlike with a a typical refueling of a diesel engine, considerations for recharging is important along with actual shoreside availability of those uh, recharge points, which all in all means the actual solution is a lot more expensive than your conventional uh, approach. On the Thames itself, there are numerous uh, specific criteria which um, the vessels have to contend with, which perhaps other sectors aren't haven't got an issue with, so um, keeping the wash down um, and the draft. Um, however, also with all the bridges on the Thames, a low air draft is critical, um, so keeping everything as, as close to the waterline as possible. Regulation-wise, with the uh, development of the new technologies, 
there are various weight and safety risks that can perhaps make high speed and uh, class five passenger vessels a lot harder to implement. Uh, so what that ultimately means is there's no one, one easy uh, off the shelf solution. Um, it's going to be very targeted and working with the end clients to develop a outcome that is specific to them, but perhaps not appropriate for other areas. And with the speed at which the technology is moving at the minute, having a vessel that is future proof uh, is obviously critical so that as the technology gets better, the vessel isn't left behind and can you know, be uh, improved and developed and ultimately try and increase that energy density um, to improve the range and performance. So specifically to, to, the, uh, to the River Thames and the Mark IV route, there is two key areas in which the vessel operates. It's, it's targeting a low emission or zero emission zone through the centre of London at a controlled speed limit, whilst when it gets beyond Tower Bridge and Battersea, it can open up. So we've got a high speed and a low speed areas. Um, so to cover those off, uh, the most efficient hull has to be developed and designed. Um, whilst minimising vessel weight um, and you know, determining exactly what that powertrain system needs, um, both in terms of propulsion size, um, but also energy storage, uh, not carrying too much for the weight penalty, but ultimately being able to achieve the operational profiles uh, duty cycles that the operator requires in this application, which essentially means you do the best you can at the time um, with a view that in the future, as technology improves, you can ultimately improve the craft and get better and just keep iterating on the, on the, on the cutting edge. So for the Mark IV, um, I'll now go into a bit of specifics as to what we went through on this actual project. So the ultimately the fully electric option was simply not feasible at this stage um, due to the route schedules berthing times uh, and the high and low speed zones, so the diverse power requirements. Uh, the frequency of the stops and the stationary time wouldn't provide enough charge uh, to meet the duty cycle, so a diesel hybrid solution was selected as the best option. The vessel uses a marine diesel parallel hybrid system driving water jets. Uh, the hybrid battery element is a 475 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery pack which is split between the port and starboard hulls, but linked to act as a single unit. Um, this allows the power to be spread around the vessel and removes the need for additional house batteries, uh, house generators, sorry. So the battery bank was sized uh, to allow the vessel to run on battery power through the city centre at speeds of up to 12 knots and sized for a 10 year lifespan, which given the way the technology is moving, it should fit. So in terms of the operating cycle, uh, the batteries are charged at the shore overnight so that at the start of each shift, they, they have 100% charge. Throughout the day, when the vessel is running in a high speed section of the route and outside the zero emission zone, the diesel engines will recharge the batteries. Uh, and then when she enters the zero zone, engines go off and batteries provide all, all engine power. To reduce the NOx and SOx from Renault Diesel, we've used IMO Tier 3 engines and SCR scrubbers. However, all of this adds uh, a substantial weight penalty of approximately, for this vessel, 12 and a half tonnes, which when you compare that to the pure standard powertrain components, um, which are currently nine tonnes, it obviously adds quite a, uh, 
quite a substantial lump which needs to be found by making savings elsewhere. So to mitigate these, all areas within the Mark IV, uh, Mark III vessel design were reviewed uh, as part of the development for the Mark IV. Um, so first off, the easy winds, auxiliary gensets, and their association systems could be removed um, because the electric motor can double up as generators um, to, to return power, to return energy to the batteries. Throughout the vessel structural design, uh, weight saving measures were also considered. Um, so through the use of friction stir welded panels for decks and roofs, um, to riveting light cladding throughout the superstructure rather than adding the additional world weights. Uh, we also worked with our fit out interiors team to assess all components on a weight basis as well as function, just to try and gain those extra couple of bits of uh, weight. The Mark IV is also two meters longer than its predecessors. Uh, the increase in length provides the buoyancy for the heavier hybrid components, uh, whilst also keeping the wash down, as I mentioned earlier, key element within the Thames. Uh, but of course, due to the speed of development, it was important to consider what future-proofing options there were. Um, as shoreside infrastructure improves, uh, the vessels could be upgraded in the future, uh, as well as considering future storage solutions, um, which could offer other routes for reducing that emissions further. So as with other vessel, new uh, energy efficient vessels, we're working with the latest uh, equipment and with the newest regulations, which often can bring its own challenges. You know, as these technologies are improved, getting clarity on, on the installation requirements, the integration and perhaps how the rules are all interpreted can lead to some interesting challenges in their own right. The hybrid systems have resulted in a much more complex vessel than her predecessors. Um, you know, battery and hybrid systems require dedicated cooling and control systems, which just adds an extra element of complexity for both the builder and ultimately the end operator. Lithium ion batteries uh, require their own new approach to fire suppression, um, which we had to work with both class and suppliers to develop this, uh, whilst not exceeding the weight budget. The first vessel is shortly entering mechanical and interior fit-out, uh, whilst vessel two will soon be entering superstructure fabrication. Uh, both vessels are due to enter service in 2023. And finally, just a quick look forward, the Mark IV is only the first, the next step on the route to zero. Uh, as shoreside infrastructure improves, we're looking at options to progress the current diesel hybrid to ultimately a fully electric vessel and reduce that diesel alternative steps on the way. Uh, however, it's not just looking at the vessel for this, it's working closely with the shoreside infrastructure and suppliers throughout the city uh, and not just the vessel operation on the river. Three very different uh, um, areas of, of the sector to discuss, so it's uh, quite a diverse understanding for us all listening. I would like to invite all our other presenters and if Rob is available now to, to join the panel session. Rob is in Australia so um, hopefully the satellites are all in the line for us. Can you hear us okay now Rob? I can yes thanks Kerry. Sorry about that. Must be too many Australians looking at their next holiday in the UK I think. <laughs> surfing the net. Great and um, well maybe Rob just to give you an opportunity I'll start off with you and, and firstly just say is there anything that you'd like to add to James's presentation there that we might not have heard? 
Um, the only thing I'd add is that, you know, to produce these vessels and get them into service, it's really a team environment, a team effort, and it's not just a shipbuilder and a designer. It's also a client who's brave enough and bold enough to take this on and has the financial backing to do that. Um, and also, the you know, we view um, statutory and MCA as a partner in this journey because without them, you know, we can't do it. And and so there's, there's a range of people through that. And then the final bit of that puzzle is the travelling public. You know, we rely on the public to go with a greener alternative and perhaps spend a little bit more money and ride with the people that are trying to make a change and make a difference. So it's very much a team journey across the whole spectrum. Well, well that was actually leads me perfectly into the question I had for you both. Um, for the Uber boat in, in case study, obviously the... Um, that the vessel is designed for the public passenger. Um, and in terms of user experience, what, what would the difference be for, for the passengers on board the vessel with the, with the new mark of vessel? It's definitely going to be a quieter experience. I think you'll, you'll definitely see when you come off diesel and switch over to batteries, it's going to be very quiet um, and it'll be more enjoyable. Um, from that perspective, but then, you know, behind the scenes, there's all the emission benefits that perhaps they don't mm. see, um, but will will be there intuitively through the quietness of the journey. I guess smell and taste as well. Um, you know, when you're on board those vessels, often you can you can you can smell the exhaust, or, or, or you know, you can understand that the, you know the the emissions. You can really see it happening, can't you? So, hopefully, that that will. Yeah, great. And all right, brilliant. Well, if I come, uh, Thomas, if I come back to your presentation, um, we've got a couple of technical questions left in the Q&A, um, but I'll, I'll just start off and hopefully we'll try and encompass all of them together. But in your vessel pictures in the slide that you had showing the, the, the grayscale pictures, it, it looked that the staple pins were offset from the center line. Is that correct? Uh, that's not correct. No, so we have we have stable pins. Um, the the stable pins is under the, you know, under the arc of the of the tow stable. We have two pins, and they are they are positioned so they are actually almost directly on top of uh, the. We are working only over the aft deck on on this boat, so it's right. positioned uh, almost directly over the top of the aft thruster, and that allows okay. us. Uh, you know, in combination with a tension um, a render recovery winch, it allows us to operate in a very short tow line. So, you know, for locks or, you know, areas where you don't have a lot of space, you can actually work within the beam of the assisted vessel. And then you can actually push up into the tow line. So you can actually take the vessel alongside by pushing up into a short tow line. But here it's, of course, uh, very important that for vessels where you have that operation, you need to consider the swell in, in the port where you're doing it because you need to dimension your winds to be able to handle that swell. So you need a, a fast reacting uh, winds because otherwise you have the whole weight of the boat coming down on the, coming down on the tow mm -hmm. line. Uh, so so that, is, that is the reason behind those tow pins that we can, yeah, we can use them for that application, but we can also, if we choose to do so, lock the line uh, in that position rather than to use the full freedom of movement under the stable. So it's sitting right there and in, right uh, at the sort of peak of the stable below, there's two pins that can be, uh, that can come up and, and, and then lock the line in, in, in the center line. 
Okay, and and so then we've got one question in the chat then, which is is about leading aft. Uh, as you said, your your vessel is is designed to tow from the aft. Um, mm. But how do you how do you maintain the the correct directional um, requirements from the vessel uh, when you when you've got offset propellers fore and aft, for example? Uh, they're they're um, not offset. The, the, well, how do you stop the balance of the vessel from turning? Yeah, so the propellers are not offset. Uh, we have chosen to have the propellers in a line, and then when we do the maximum bollard pull of the vessel, uh, you know, if we if we do a bollard pull in in a straight line at zero knots, then we will angle the vessel slightly. So the vessel will be sitting in a slight angle, but we have the thrusters in line, and for mobilization, um, you know, from A to B at eight knots. Uh, we are considering uh, differentiated thrust on the propellers in order not to have, you know, the problem with the influence of water into the next. So that's that's so the propellers are in line. They are not uh, they are not uh, uh, offline in any way. But we are then when we are doing the maximum bottle pull at zero knots. It's very important to say zero knots. Then uh, we just angle the boat a little so we so we don't have thruster to thruster interaction. Uh, Every time we are above zero knots, all of this goes away because you are anyway in an angle with the thrusters to keep position. So it's only the zero knots example, and there we have done CFD simulations of the, the bullet pull situation, and we know how to position the drives in order to avoid thruster to thruster interaction and do the full bullet pull. All of that has also been verified in the in, in the tow tank. Uh, but it, but mm -hmm. everything's in a line, and and when we discuss this internally in the team, uh, everything we do out there is dynamic. We will always be working to. It's very seldom we are in the zero knot situation, and when we are in the zero knot situation, we know how to do that both on pushing and pulling. Every other situation is dynamic, so actually you will find that in line is actually the best way to avoid trust to trust interaction because then. The trust is always pointing somewhere else, just to keep position, basically. Yeah. So, uh, so we have done a lot of thinking on on, on this. Yeah, yeah we, we really have. Thank you very much, Thomas. Um, Andy, a couple of questions in the chat for you, and I'm going to try and bring them together a little bit. But um, so the, one of the questions is around what, what's next in terms of novel CTB hold design. Um, and, and particular interest on on what could be possible for use in, in the US market. But but also on top of that, someone's asked about, have you looked into trimaran formats? And, and are you looking at any of the case studies that are currently available, for example, the, the Kinetec vessel Triton? Um, yeah, so I think um, I think what we'll see over the, the next uh, uh, course of um, vessel um, deliveries um, is um, uh, in the immediate sense with the Bartek 30, I think we'll see... Um, uh, the use of different propulsion technologies in integration with the form. Um, so uh, again, looking at um, uh, transom immersion, looking at um, efficiency of, of the propellers and, and how they integrate with the form. I think we'll look at um, uh, perhaps scaling it. To, you know, we have others in the range in the 40 and the 50, uh, which which could be used for longer passage making or or even for perhaps uncrewed. Um, surface vessel usage for survey and, and things like that. Um, with respect to the, the Triton craft, uh, I mentioned that um, the, the Bartek is, is actually an asymmetric um, twin hull as opposed to a tri. 
Um, but um, but I think there is you know fantastic precedent um, from old and, and from great vessels that have been delivered previously, like the Triton, that we can we can make reference to and learn from. Um, and, and certainly in the USB space, the Triton hull is kind of that similar idea is being used um, uh, for for the very long passage making activity. And, and I'm going to try and round up a bit, but two quick questions to, to go back to you. The first one, sticking with you, Andy, but it's just come in the chat about um, compartmentable SES. So um, using, I guess, I guess it's believed sectioned SES systems under the hull of the vessel in order to, to offset payload cha changes and challenges, etc. Have you looked yeah. at that? Yeah, not not um, not personally, but um, uh, some of the craft that have been delivered are in a in in a way um, compartmentalised, um, where there, there's a you know, bag at the forward end, one at the aft, nothing in the middle, um, and you can adjust. They have different fans, um, so you can adjust each to to uh, um, account for trim changes, um, and and you can yeah adjust relative to your uh, where you are on the resistance curve. Um, so when you're at the lower uh, early uh, range of the uh, curve you might go for a higher transom lift and then once you're up and stable you might want to point your bow down a little bit so there kind of is um that uh, in use and i'm sure we're going to see more and more of that uh, over the next few years as we try and integrate with these alternative fuel types brilliant thanks andy and and i'm going to finish if i may going back to rob and james um so the design of the vessel, you mentioned that you've made it two metres longer in order to, to combat the buoyancy challenges by the added equipment that's on board. Um, and we've heard before from Andy and previous speakers in previous sessions that lengthening a vessel's hull is, is one good way to optimise efficiency. How does that affect the turning of the vessel? Um, it's not too bad because we're a water jet propelled vessel, so the manoeuvrability of the Hunt class vessels compared to the earlier uh, Thames Clipper vessels is quite high. Um, but obviously there is a limit on how long we can go, um, and we're probably starting to get close to that in terms of just fitting in and getting around you know, the other craft on the river and, and working within the environment. So it certainly comes into it, um, but one of the key drivers on, on the Thames is the wash heights and length is king there and it's very difficult to achieve um, what we need to with alternative fuels or alternative fuel sources um, and maintain wash heights so that's been a big driver in the design brilliant well thank you everyone i really want i can't thank you enough i think it's been such a, an uh, interesting session um, great to see the case studies great to see people really putting um, this technology to use in physical builds and, uh, and a brilliant way to start off uh, season three of this great series. So thank you. Thank you, everyone, for attending. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you to everyone at the, the Commercial Marine Network for, for putting this on again for another year. We'll see you all soon. You've been listening to a SeaWork podcast. To listen again, see the webinar, and for more commercial marine content online all year, register or sign in at seawork.com.